Morning, everybody. Hope you are well. Hope you are well. Um, just a disclaimer before I start, now that Claire said that I wasn't feeling real great, is I am not on medication, so I have to own all of this. I, it's one of the things I like about medication, is you can blame things on your medication. But Anyway, we, uh, we're continuing on in our Vibrant uh, series, our Vibrant Summer. Hope you guys are having a great summer. Hope it's uh, moving well for you. And I want to talk to you about, as Claire mentioned, Vibrant Church. And this really is, uh, this really is just a sweet spot. I think not only for me, but Claire as well. This is one of the, one of the reasons why uh, we gave our lives to what we gave our lives for is we just so believe, not just with this local church, but what God is doing on the earth through the church. So um, the series here, we've been trying to utilize the book of Acts. We're going through the book of Acts. Uh, A couple weeks ago, the last time I spoke with you, we talked about the death of Stephen, kind of left off at um, the end of chapter 7. Chapter 8 in Acts is where Paul, um, Paul's conversion happens um, in 8 and then moves forward from there. It's where Paul is persecuting the church, and we'll get into that a little bit. But why don't we stand, and we're going to go right back to the beginning of Acts, because uh, I think that the most important thing that we gather in the book of Acts, or certainly one of the most important things, is just uh, how we get our power as Christ followers. So um, Acts 1, starting with verse 1, it says, in the first book, Theophilus, uh, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day when he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Now, uh, it's generally understood that Luke, the writer, Dr. Luke, who wrote the book of Luke, also writes the book of Acts. So he's kind of writing this, uh, directing it toward his friend, Theophilus. After his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs appearing to them for 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? And he replied, speaking of Jesus, it is not for you to know the times or the periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power. Everyone say power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So, Father, we pray that as we dig a little bit more into the book of Acts, into the treasure of your church and what you're doing on earth, that you'd help us be inspired, you'd convict us, you would change us, you'd help us be the kind of people you desire for us to be individually and corporately. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can go ahead and take a seat. So, uh, book of Acts chapter 1, Jesus tells uh, his followers that uh, he's going to empower them with the Holy Spirit, empower us. That happens, initially happens in uh, the book of Acts chapter 2. They're in the upper room. 
all the activity. That's where they start to speak in tongues. All kinds of crazy things start to happen. They think they're drunk. They spill out onto the streets. Thousands of people start to come to Christ in Jerusalem. So the church starts in Jerusalem. Now, um, Tozer puts it this way. Tozer says, 100 religious persons knit into unity by careful organization do not constitute a church any more than 11 dead men make up a football team. The first requisite is life. I, I would add power, meaning power there, is life or power always. So Tozer, I think, really hit it on the head with that. Uh, did you ever watch, Claire and I are not real fans of like the sci-fi movies, but you ever watch those zombie movies or like the world being taken over movies? They always, they always have a scene in those movies. There's this similar scene that happens every time, right? It's the scene where they're, you know, it might be in Washington, D.C. There's all these powerful people, all these people that are supposed to be able to stop the zombies or whatever, the blob from going throughout the whole earth. And they put up on a map... They put up like a picture of what's happening, like how the zombies are spreading across the earth. And there's an epicenter. They put like this red dot. There's the epicenter. That's where it started. And then all of a sudden they say, and this is where it's going. And then at some point they say, if we don't stop it, this is going to take over the whole world. Well, if you could kind of picture Jerusalem is that red dot. That's what's happening here. Jerusalem is epicenter of the church. It starts there, and up until uh, chapter 9 of the book of Acts, it's all contained there. The believers are there, they're all together, and then it's literally persecution that uh, the Apostle Paul, who isn't the who is Saul, uh, kind of is a critical part of, that's the persecution is what starts to cause this scripture to come into fulfillment, which is still being uh, brought into fulfillment that the church or the gospel is being proclaimed throughout the earth and it's still spreading like zombies throughout the earth. The the church is not, yeah, you get it. Anyway, that must have been the medicine. Anyway, um, so, so because Jesus says it's going to spread from Jerusalem and all of Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. Now we come to Acts chapter 13 to kick uh, ahead a little bit because so you've got the church in Jerusalem and then the next big significant descriptive in the book of Acts of the church when it comes specifically to a church in a locale is the church in Antioch. Acts chapter 13, and this is what it says, in the church at Antioch, can we put this up? In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Mannion, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. That Saul is the Apostle Paul. He's now converted, okay? While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work of which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them to send them off. So you've got now, you've got the church in Jerusalem, which is basically led by all of the apostles, except now you've got Paul, and Paul is in Antioch, and he's partnered up with these people and many others, and now they're about to send Paul and Barnabas somewhere else. So you get this, you start to get this progression that's happening, okay? Because the scripture tells us when the persecution started, the apostles uh, stay in Jerusalem, but the believers start to scatter. 
Now, there's, there's some significant things when it comes to the power that the gospel brings us that, are, that we can gather just out of these three verses with the church in Antioch. There's more descriptive about the church in Antioch, but when it comes to power, there's some incredible things just in these few verses. It seems like there's nothing there, but there's a, a ton there. First of all, we see the power of reconciliation. The scripture says that Barnabas and Saul are about to be sent out. Now, this is significant. Barnabas, we, we see Barnabas' story in the book of Acts chapter 4. Now, you've got to stick with me. In the book of Acts chapter 4, verse 36, if we can skip ahead to that scripture, this is where we see Barnabas. I'll read it to you. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So this is back in Jerusalem when this happened. Barnabas is a part of that group that is totally sold out. If, if you want to read anything to inspire you about the church across the world or the church, uh, the, the New Testament church, read Acts chapter 2, specifically the end of it, and read Acts chapter 4, specifically the end of it, because it's just total devotion. And Barnabas is at the center of that. Now, he, he goes from Joseph because he is noticed by the leaders in the church and they literally change his name. They begin to call him Barnabas because Barnabas simply means son of encouragement. And they say, you're an encourager. And he says, well, my mom, you know, she called me Joseph. And he said, well, that's great. And we like your mom, but she should have called you Barnabas apparently. So they start calling him Barnabas. What we know about Barnabas is he's all in. If you could think of a Christ follower that's all in, that's Barnabas. The scripture says that he gives out of his wealth. He's giving, he's obviously an encouraging person. He's giving everything he has literally to the point where they recognize him differently. So he's all in. Now, at this point, he's going to be partnered with Paul. And Paul, we pick up his story before Acts 13, back in Acts 8, and it says, on, the day, on that day, right after Stephen's death, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria, godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Now, you couldn't have two people more diametrically opposed than Barnabas and Saul at this point. Barnabas is doing everything, absolutely everything he can with all that he has to build the church. He's giving his health away. He's giving his time away. He's encouraging in every way he can and enter Saul. He's going in the exact opposite direction. He's doing all he can to destroy the church. He's, he's trying to end the church. They're moving in diametrically opposed positions. Now, there's no way that Barnabas doesn't know who Saul slash Paul is when they meet up by the time they're together in Acts 13. The church in Jerusalem, though it's thousands of people, Paul has a huge, Saul has a huge reputation as being someone that kicks in doors and murders people. 
Notice at the end of that scripture, Saul began to destroy the church going from house to house. He dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Literally, Paul was kicking in doors. And it wouldn't have been too much of a stretch, even though the scripture doesn't tell us this, it's not too much of a stretch to possibly even think that some of Barnabas's friends have had their front doors kicked in and sent off to prison because of Saul, who is now Paul. And now they are going to partner in the gospel and go on a journey to spread the good news to another part of the world. They are totally in it together. This is the power of reconciliation. And it can only happen at this type of level by the gospel, the power of God working in the life of people. The power of the Holy Spirit. See, I don't know about you, but it doesn't take somebody to even do something to me. A lot of times when somebody does something against people that I love and people that are near me, people that I care for, that's enough for me to never want to do anything with them. I don't know, I hate to say that as a pastor, but just in, you you get it, right? So in order for that to be reconciled, there has to be this purpose that goes just beyond goodwill. This is beyond goodwill. This is a place of frustration in the world, isn't it? Where it's like, why can't we reconcile here? The reason that we cannot reconcile certain things is it can only be reconciled by the power of the gospel. There are things that are just too big. It takes the good news of God. The second thing we see is the power to overcome. This guy Mannion here in in the scripture that we read about, uh, it it says in in describing Mannion, it says Mannion was a member of the court of Herod the ruler. The NIV puts it this way. It says Mannion had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. And in the Living Bible, it actually says that Mannion was the foster brother of Herod the Tetrarch. So he grew up with him. There's this consistent flow with commentators, and they say what we know for sure is he was really close, like they were best friends growing up, very close friends. Now, to be one of the Herods, when you find Herods show up in Scripture, it's generally not good. It's usually a bad thing. You would remember some of this, for instance, with a guy named Herod the Great. Herod the Great, this is a different Herod than this Herod the Tetrarch, but Herod the Great, this is the Herod the Great in the Christmas story after the Magi don't return back to him, remember? Herod the Great is the Herod that killed all the two-year-old boys in Bethlehem and younger. That's Herod the Great. That's not good. Wouldn't want to identify with that, would you? That Herod the Great, uh, history tells us that he had his brother-in-law executed, he had his mother-in-law executed, and he had his second wife executed. And they're probably still looking for his first wife. But anyway, just not good. Like if you're a relative or a friend of Herod, you don't really want to go on Ancestry.com and check out what's going on, right? You just would rather not know. So that's that Herod. Then there's this Herod that we're talking about, Herod the Tetrarch. The one that's been lifelong friends with this guy who is about to lay hands. He's obviously a leader in the church in Antioch. He's about to lay hands on Barnabas and Saul and send them off for the gospel work. Herod Herod the Tetrarch married his stepbrother's ex-wife. What do you call that? Awkward, right? Like at Christmas parties. Hey, how's it going? 
Oh, that's great. Yeah, I think we got to go. Anyway, then, so he marries his, his stepbrother's ex-wife. Then the, uh, his, his wife that he's married to, who's, his, who's not his first wife, uh, she has a daughter, so it's not his daughter, it's his stepdaughter, and she's the one that does the dance. There's a night of, of festivities, and there's drinking going on and celebrating. It gets a little bit crazy. The wine is a little bit too free-flowing. And this, he gets lust, and he gets so messed up, he offers his stepdaughter anything in the kingdom, driven by his own lust and perversion. And she's got some problems too, don't you think? Because she can have anything in the kingdom and she decides she wants John the Baptist's head on a platter. This is that Herod and his family. It's a great, great family. They need some biblical counseling, right? So anyway, John's head shows up at the party. His head rolls. This is, this is that Herod. This is the Herod that uh, Jesus was sent to. Herod the Tetrarch. Jesus was sent to by Pilate. When, and the night of Jesus' crucifixion, the, the night leading into Jesus' crucifixion, Pilate sends him off to Herod. Herod wants Jesus. He gets excited about him coming because he thinks Jesus can do magic tricks. He thinks that David Copperfield's coming to town, so he has Jesus show up. Jesus refuses to do anything for him, so he's beaten by Herod's orders. This is Herod. This is the guy he grew up with. This is his buddy. He is now a Christ follower. We don't even know. He may have been in the room when Jesus was beaten up. But this Mannion, he is now in the room as a leader in the church of Antioch, and it's a picture of God's power to cause us to overcome. We can overcome our past. God's power can overcome anything in your life and mine. The power of the gospel to change your life and mine is more significant than anything that you and I can ever encounter. Mannion shows us this. Some of us in this room might even say, you know what, Scott, you don't know what I've done. And that perhaps is true and probably is true. But I'll tell you that when I read through scripture and I see the messed upness of these people, there's no accident, it's in there. I think some of them would chuckle at the stuff that we don't think God can cause us to overcome in our life. I think they would look at it and say, you have got to be kidding me. As a 21st century American, you don't think you can overcome that? Let me tell you about my own life. It is the power to overcome It's beautiful. The power of diversity. Let me just go through those names real quick. God provides us with the power of diversity. There's five names that show up in those first three verses of chapter 13. Barnabas. Barnabas is a Hellenistic Jew from Cyprus. Simeon, called Niger. Niger in Latin simply means black. We're not sure what his country of origin is, but we are sure that he's black. Lucius is a Cyrenian. He's an African. Mannion is a Palestinian Greek Herodian. And Saul, or Paul, is a Hebraic Jew, which is different than the kind of Jew that Barnabas is. We've already read about, through the book of Acts, the first 13 chapters, people like Tabitha, who's also called Dorcas. We're about to read about people like Priscilla and Aquila and many others. 
The reality of it is, is God gives us the power to be diverse. The fact that those people could be in the same room around a common cause for the cause of the gospel is miraculous. This is no small wonder. This would be a huge miracle in our day. It was even bigger back then. They had nothing to do with each other. And in this moment, God is about to use them to release the power of the gospel. It takes, it takes God's power in our lives to be able to move into a diverse place and to love one another the way we're called to love and to move the gospel throughout the world. It's because of the power of the gospel that Galatians, Paul would say in Galatians that there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. It's because of the power that God released in the book of Acts. And he continues to release into our lives even today. I want you just to look around the room for a moment. And, and I'm, I'm about done here. Just look around the room. And I want you to think what other scenario. Claire was talking about, is, this was really good. She said, you know, you go to Meyer and you're there because you're all grocery shopping. I want you to think about what other reason you would be in this room or be in a room with this group of people. For anything else, there might be a couple people that you'd see and say, you know, I kind of like would be around them. It doesn't mean you don't like everybody in the room. It's just, why are we together? Really? Like we're all going to go off and do our thing. We got different opinions and way we're living. Why are we together? We are together because God is spreading the gospel through our lives. We have met each other. We have come into this place Because God's work continues to go forth, which just leads me to the last thing. What power brought any of us into this room? It's the power of God. It's the power of the gospel. Some of you would say, well, the reason I'm in this room is my mom made me come or my neighbor tricked me into being here, promised me breakfast later, a friend that's no longer a friend. I lost a bet. I don't know. It's bigger than that. Remember when we started, there was ground zero. We are a long way away from Jerusalem. I don't know if you understand geography, but the fact that we're in this room together and the fact that they're saying by the year 2025 that there will be over 600 million Africans that will be Christ followers... Same things happening in Asia. Same things happening in South America. There is revival going on in certain parts of the world. God's work is still going forth and it's going forth in this room on this day. The power of the gospel is the power to work in us and through us. And there have been people for 2,000 years, and we just join in with that beautiful heritage. There have been people for 2,000 years who have at great expense, some of them, have been giving their life to Christ and inviting the power of God into their life for that great adventure that only God can release. The church will never end until Christ returns. It will continue, Jesus says, to expand. The kingdom of God is expanding. 
there's been some pretty powerful empires that have tried to thwart it throughout the ages. The Roman Empire, pretty powerful, right? I mean, how many of you have been to Rome? There's roads in Rome that are 2,000 years old. We should hire some of those people to solve some of our stuff, right? From India to England, Rome ruled the world. And they tried to kill people, saw them in half, have them eaten alive with wild beasts, imprison them, crucify them upside down, beat them. And all that it has done is continued to cause the church to grow. There is severe persecution happening on this day in the church in various parts of the world. One of the greatest challenges for us as American Christians is to be cognizant of the fact that we can so easily be lulled into sleep because of our freedoms. But the church is going forward this morning, my friends. And if you are in here and you have never given your life to Christ, I would just encourage you, I invite you on this day to say, you know what, I am signing up for that adventure. Because your life is worth way too much than for you to piddle it off on anything else besides the work of God because he has created you for this moment in history. So let's stand. So Father, on this day, in this morning, I just pray for all of us, for those of us perhaps that for the first time would invite you into their life to sign up for this adventure of a lifetime, what they were created for, and be a part of this continuous rolling out church in the kingdom of God. And Lord, for all of us that have already made that commitment, I pray once again that you'd strengthen us, strengthen our resolve Help us to more submerse ourselves in your presence. Help us to be the kind of people that are hungry to see the gospel increase on the earth. The good news. Thank you, Lord, for the power to overcome. The power to be diverse. Thank you, God, for the power of reconciliation. So we receive your spirit, God, afresh. Empower for all your people.
mind just holding your hands out in front of you for a moment. And God, I'm praying that you would fill the hands of this church with ways to serve the world and take this message. I'm praying, God, that these would be hands that heal. These would be hands that forgive. These would be hands that would bring reconciliation, that would seek out those that are different and bring our hands to them and to shake a hand, to lay hands on the sick, to bring people a blessing, to bless them. I pray that the church would thrive in this region and these hands in this room would bring it. All the places that these hands go, from serving right here in the church and serving your body and also in the world this week. Amen. God bless you guys. Have an awesome week of service to the world.